everybody to season two episode one of the lever it's great to have with me back again uh nick from our first episode of the first uh season uh poo jogger and medieval realty i think that one was nick have you recovered from yeah that episode oh gee it got rave reviews yeah uh yeah definitely it feels like about two lifetimes ago but i do remember it well yeah it was a fun time it was at your house in footscray mel was there um yeah, it was great. Yeah, we had a big, we had a good big lineup, and we had a lot of cheese. Uh, just want to acknowledge that we're doing this podcast recording on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri, Boonwurrung, and Woiwurrung people, and and up further north on the stolen land of the Larrakia people. And we want to acknowledge elders, past, present, and future um, families from those communities. And yeah, acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded. And uh, what do you want to chuck in anything else on that, Nick? No, that's okay. That's good. I went to a, I filmed a conference uh, with a lot of fantastic First Nations elders and um, cool. the, there was some dispute. Some of the people involved um, were actually, there was a dispute of, it seemed to be, no one said Wurundjeri. Mm. There seemed to be a dispute about the sort of recognized title holders and and um, the kind of the cultural use of the land or something. It's something that I didn't understand. I'm very naive. Uh, I had my work cut out for me filming everything, but uh yeah, everyone said, oh, I dare not speak the name of the country, but the, the, the country that the, the people that this country belongs to, I acknowledge them and made it this sort of placeholder. And I gather because of the stance or background of one of the organizers of the conference that that kind of happened. So, yeah, okay. uh, that was really interesting. And uh, as, a, as a dumb white colonialist, uh, it was interesting for me to see, to start to see inside... Indigenous politics, yeah. That, what, what is so easily assumed to yeah, be yeah, homogenous, yeah, yeah. yeah, indigenous. You like, can't even... Like, you find out enough to realise should, we shouldn't even be using the word indigenous, so we should just be talking about um, groups from geographical specific regions, you know. But, mm. uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty complicated. Yeah, complicated, man, complicated. And then I, I was doing my research to figure out how I wanted that acknowledgement of country to go and... And sort of saying, oh, okay, well, right, the, the you know we've got a language group here, and so but there were people here, but now they've that's sort of um, changed, and you know, so I just sort of settled on, yeah, Wurundjeri, Boonwurrung, and Woiwurrung people, past, present, future, so mm-hmm. leaving it super open. But there's no yeah. way, but also like just accepting in my dumbness because colonial violence is so pervasive. Of course, I'm offending. I'm definitely offending someone. Totally. I'm definitely yeah, getting yeah, it yeah. wrong for someone yeah. out there. So someone more learned and educated than me. Uh, feel free to fucking get in touch and um, tell me how to sort my shit out. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, man. Let me let me check in with you. Um, you're you're a professional musician, and uh, you're very very uh, diligent and respected in um, music education for like like schools, but also like bigger events and broader like cultural projects. Um, and then I don't want to talk too much about Kate's work, but but uh, really really big in um, uh, classical music. So She's you guys, administrator of note, indeed, indeed. So so you guys are just so entrenched, and I would love to get the view of uh, what you think about what what you're seeing in terms of um, music culture and the arts, um, especially like how you guys personally and in terms of your networks and stuff, how are people going when it comes to music, arts and culture uh, with the shutdown? There's, there's a lot of doors closed, a lot of all gigs are out, all the secondary income's out, but then there's maybe some weird creative offshoots happening and, or maybe that's people trying to feel good about things. Like, yeah. tell, tell me what you see. Tell me the lay of the land. I guess I want to just I'll first acknowledge that like I'm very lucky to have like some uh, solid, secure part-time teaching work and so... Like I've lost some income, but I'll also I'll be fine. Mm. Um, I guess I feel sometimes, you know, I go through phases of, of being like more or less uh, activist about one thing or another. And you have that, that thing of like where, you know, lots of people are doing lots of really good work of in terms of advocating for like, uh, you know, stimulus or relief packages or, you know, income support yeah. for artists and, um, you know, all kinds of different creative professionals and just people who work in creative industries, just something to keep money coming in and roofs over people's heads and food on the table. Mm. Part of me feels guilty for not doing more in that space, but, uh, you know, I've also got a job that I have to keep doing, which um, even though I'm only part-time, like the demands on our job and the stuff we had to do to, like, create um, sort of remote delivery online content at the end of last term were, like, really full-on. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, that's and mixed messages. Hey? Yeah, and lots of mixed messages. And you know, I did, I did have some uh, like you know interaction with our branch of the AAU up here, which was mm. you know, which was good. They, they um, had their shit together by the sound. Yeah, they had their shit together by the end. They did actually acknowledge, um, which I thought was quite sort of bigger than kind of acknowledged that maybe their position initially was a little bit soft, or that they'd been a little bit slow to kind of right. get to things. Which I think it's good when people acknowledge stuff like that. That maybe you know we didn't we didn't get it right quite at first yes right. anyway but um this is probably true in lots of places but australia in particular has a real um yeah real reluctance to acknowledge like just the the size economically of the arts like you know uh something you see the 111 billion dollar industry it's a pervasive myth isn't it yeah it is a pervasive myth and it's like everyone's happy to consume the content uh, or like talk about the the cultural products that they like to consume but um yeah we love to talk about you know manufacturing or aviation or mining like everyone loves to talk about mining the idea that um like if you're going to talk about an industry and talk about how big and important it is it's almost like it has to be this um like quite a sort of old-fashioned sort of almost like 19th century industrial idea of what industry is like if there aren't like men in in uh work clothes getting sweaty and dirty then is it really an industry yeah and it's also just because it's hard to talk about collectively like we know we talk about the arts like it involves such diverse um practices and people's there's all kinds of jobs that people don't understand like if you know if you try to talk to a like a mass tv audience about um you know audio engineers or video mixers or all kinds of different tech jobs like people are just you know koshi's head would 
explode. Yeah, people scratch their heads because it's just like, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's just not a story that's going to connect with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, they just we don't really understand what your job is. Yeah. Um, so I think that who wears it, a high vis vest at your workplace? Can we can we talk to them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, we all know that all the like all the the casual, the short contract work and all the cash gigs and all the big gigs and any gig is gone. But even um, like even those jobs in the arts that were really coveted because they were more stable and more secure than other arts jobs. Like even, you know, we saw um, the opera and ballet orchestra like um, in Sydney stood down mm-hmm. all their musicians without pay and just this week MSO stood down their musicians. The um, admin team, what have they got to organise? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's pretty scary because you, you do worry about what's going to be left on the other side. Like there's right. going to be lots of people scrambling to, to make music or make TV or whatever when they can, but there's also going to be just lots of organisations that don't survive. Yeah, it's mm. pretty... And how, how do you match up that reality and seeing that happen in sort of waves and chunks around... Because obviously when you're a musician and you've trained, then your your networks end up becoming really like really national and interstate and mm. really international, right? Like yeah, you, definitely. You have all those connections everywhere. So you hear all these variations of stories coming in, uh, which is why it's so great to, to get that view from you for this show. I mean, how, how does that reality pair with, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, social media graphics and messages in the mainstream media about, you know, oh, if you thought the arts weren't important, like look at all the things you're doing to survive the shutdown. Um, the reliance on music and like cultural creative works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there, um, you know, some people have said, some, some people are, are saying that we are hopeful that we might see welfare make a comeback um, as a an ethical idea and obligation of government and society. Yeah. is Could that happen with cultural production, creative production I across mean, a bunch of fields, do you think? or is... I hope so, but I, I wouldn't be super optimistic about it. I mean, we've seen all kinds of like radical, pretty unprecedented kind of, you know, big government, big spending, social democratic kind of things from the Scott Morrison Liberal government, which we couldn't have imagined even yeah. six months ago, like this. You I know, thought you were going to stop and say the Scott Morrison, the Scott Morrison, the cultural object that is the Scott Morrison. But even you know, even in this crazy time where we've got like, um, you know, they've doubled the dole, which is now called Job Seeker, mm-hmm. and we've got this other Job Keeper thing, and we've got all kinds of, um, you know, big bits of money being handed out. Like, still, the arts are getting a shitty deal. So, like, I can't. I might be hopeful, but not kind of. Um, mystic if that makes sense i did see mm. i didn't really read further i just saw the, the headline but i saw something last week or two weeks ago saying that the spanish government has said that they're they're going to move to introduce a, a universal basic income ubi yeah, right. and they're um, calling it that they also said that they they want to do it long they will, or they said something about like i think they use the words yeah basic income or universal income mm. Um, and also said that we want to do this long term. Like we, we're not saying this is just an emergency coronavirus measure. Wow, we're looking to set things up for this into the future. So that's wow, cool. that's that move's going to be that's going to be hard in countries like Australia or the UK yeah, or yeah. or America, yeah. where there's just so much wind coming back the other way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I had uh, some. I think some of the interesting conversations I've had with. Friends, so I'm thinking of uh, a friend of ours who's in London in lockdown at the moment, uh, who's I guess a bit skeptical of all the um, just how much content people are generating, like all the stuff people are putting up on on social media of um, 
you know, just doing their arts practice at home and um, uh, what the motivation for that might be, mm. which um, which I think is an interesting thought because it like it, it seems maybe a bit bit ungenerous or something yeah. at first because it's like oh well you know people are just trying to do their thing and stay connected but yeah I think there there is I don't know there's maybe a bit of a bit of a desperation mm. or something and that sort of links to um you know uh, the Kira Peru the singer no tell us no she I think yeah put an interesting thing on Twitter um just like questioning whether we should be giving away so much art for free in a time when we're desperately asking mm. people to value the work that we do. Yeah, and, and all uh, the journalists should be saying, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, and all the journalists who are always stamping up and down asking us to respect the paywall and subscribe. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, maybe they should be. And it's a really, it's one well, of... Or maybe if they're not stamping up and down doing that, they're just being fired and stuff. Maybe that too, yeah. Like, like this is like a how much do things cost versus how much are we used to paying issue, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yes. But it's a really vexed question because um you know this often happens in capitalism like all the risk and the impossible choice like the catch-22 is placed on the individual so it's like do you continue to generate content and try to engage people to show that you have something to offer Mm. or do you um maybe do you try to make people pay money for something in uh, an environment where there's buckets of free content and that's not a very competitive yep. thing to do and a lot of people have less money to spend. Or could all the money go to a digital tech company that just distributes and makes a killing, like the Spotify sort of um, subscription model stuff, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, or any streaming service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have... Got that one sorted out pretty pretty neatly. Is something like Netflix more ethical because they are producing their own shows largely now and in order for that subscription, to keep those subscriptions happening? Um, is that more ethical than Spotify? I won't claim to understand the the details of what how um, TV royalties work, but I would assume that, yes, people who get commissioned to make a TV show by Netflix get paid something decent even if it's not mm-hmm. i mean it might be yeah i think they're getting some kind of competitive rates whereas um someone who puts their music on spotify or itunes or title or any streaming yeah. service they are getting because of the environment because they have to yeah because they have to because that's where people access music even now. if they don't feel um even if they don't want to because right. they get they get paid like it is so close to nothing that it is not inaccurate to call it nothing like it's yeah it's it would be better if it was nothing because then you could make the argument yeah against it more clearly i guess mm, mm. yeah uh, i gave um i gave 30 dollars to the art of fighting dudes once after i was like i just said you've got to take this like i, I ripped your cd from a friend and it's awesome I do all the time, so please just take this 30 dollars that's <laughs> I feel good. really bad about it <laughs> were they um they're like huh, what how'd they take it they looked at me like i was a fucking psycho but they did take the money yeah. so yeah yeah you know but that's fine but yeah i mean the fact that they looked at you like a psycho that speaks to the context oh yeah you bet you bet yeah um yeah, yeah absolutely so that you know what what do you think it says that the, the the relief package for the jobless and then for small businesses was so substantial that like the the evidence like the the modeling must have been so incontrovertible like 
the the coalition and Labor have been getting this information about New Start keeping people in poverty and keeping them out of the workforce, like for ten years. I mean, ten plus mm, years. Mm, I remember yeah. two, 2010 Gillard government um, not being able, like, completely denying increases and incredible credible modelling, uh, and then. That, so that's like that's been a two-party issue, uh, you know, bipartisan rejection. So the, the modelling must have been so catastrophic for Scott Morrison to take on this heterodox, um, you know, bits of the left, bits of the right Approach, yeah. um, stance and make it so strong and like so over and above what previous calls were, yeah? Like, yeah, I mean, I think that... I don't understand that stuff. It must have been... Um, I guess when what you what all the advice is telling you to do to avoid like a huge recession or a depression. Yeah. To basically, you know, keep the wheels of the economy turning. Mm. Yeah. Like when that, the alternatives to doing what you have to do are so terrifyingly catastrophic Mm. for government, I guess they're prepared to do things which ideologically they hate, like they hate giving money to poor people, but um, I guess they can hold their nose and do it if um, it's going to prevent the, um, you know the huge depression, which they're also they're even more scared of. Yeah. Do you think that that makes sense? Yeah, I think it does make sense. I mean, and there's different situations too. Like in the UK, I don't know much about how they're responding to this stuff policy-wise um, for jobless. You know, whether in the arts or elsewhere, but I know that they've been doing overt austerity economics and starving, like starving essential services that government runs um, for like mm, since, for so long, since the yeah. financial crash. They've been rolling that out and, and succeeded. So, so I, I don't know what their response is going to be, but that stuff can't wash now. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in America, we've also had like Trump being quite heterodox, and even though it was a massive generational theft mm-hmm. from, um, you know, on like of the of corporations coming in, getting these like loans they don't have to pay back, they can leverage up to like literally trillions of dollars, and and people are getting a one off twelve hundred dollar check. So. So you get a hint of like, oh my God, is Trump about to do a UBI? No, it's a one-off check. And the corporations are predictably getting this massive generational bailout that's going to cripple a generation literally. Yeah. Um, and But then you get him doing heterodox things there like covering hospital bills and stopping hospitals charging more than the like Medicare rebate for uninsured. So so the individuals are totally protected, for, only for treated for corona, diagnosed and then treated. Yeah. Their bills for that are covered by the government. So it's medical, it's Medicare for all in a really narrow sense. So if you've, you know, if you just go in with pneumonia that's not corona, you're dead and yeah. you're in debt and you're done. Like, but if it's corona, like it's just this little smidgen, it's this yeah. little promise yeah. of heterodoxy. And, and there were a couple of other things in that CARES Act that were... That were bits of the right and bits of the left, and yeah. it's then a big tumble. Do you think? Um, I mean, I'm and I'm thankful that we haven't seen corporations come in and just conduct daylight robbery in front of our eyes in our papers. Yeah, totally. Australia, Do you think all you know? this, um, all this, like what you're, you know, saying heterodoxy or like this real, um, sort of freedom in policy making, uh, from you know governments who we really wouldn't expect this stuff from normally? It, yeah. It's sort of, um, I'm not sure if like I haven't. I don't remember. I haven't read enough of the sort of philosophy to articulate this properly. But we're like we're in an exceptional state yes, at the moment yeah, yeah, with yeah. the coronavirus thing, and the fact that we're in this exceptional state, which is outside all of our norms, uh, enables 
you know, everyone, governments to do these, you know, take these extraordinary measures and do things which are, you know, ideologically inconsistent for them and their own beliefs. But it can be, Mm. you can always just keep coming back to the the fact of the exceptional state of coronavirus. Yes, yes. Um, And I actually, I mean... Well, the exceptional state was always about the security state and like implementing totalitarianism on a so-called liberal democracy. Yes. It was about going the other way and using that state of exception that way. So so to have the state of exception, if that's what we're going to call mm. it, come in the other way and, and allow heterodoxy and suspend the kind of consequences that like a political party mm. would face for just betraying their core values on their website or whatever, that's – we've not seen that before. Yeah. I, I can't remember seeing that. But I think – I mean, and this is like a pessimistic view, but I feel like the um, – I feel like the ex- – you know, the state of exception is going to be used uh, when we come out the other side of this to justify some really rough snapback snapback to the the right-wing neoliberal, um, you know, the star of the poor kind of model that we're used to. And I feel like um, like there will be such a, you know, it'll be such a stark contrast between the state of exception that we're in and the return to norm and all the all the language around returning to normal is going to be so um it's going to be really irresistible because mm. of course like you know how can you argue against returning to normal like we're celebrating all yeah, the yeah. return of our freedom of movement and freedom of everything you know and being able to yeah. all the economic activity that can happen again so anyone who tries to argue for you know, keeping the things that we had in the state of exception must be crazy or evil mm. or whatever. Like, well, I think that'll I think be that's going to be really difficult to resist. That's such a good point, man. And and I really think that the that the snapback, as it's being called, is going to involve intense divisiveness. Like, shut the door behind you, type yeah, yeah. policy switches, and um, really going to be yeah. like, well, you you had to this group of people, like creating all these imagined groups of people. You you had to suffer and do this and do that. Why should this person get get off with a payment that you had to suffer mm. for? Like, yeah. So so I think there'll be a lot of like turning demographics against mm. each other in order to like implement that snapback. And it's it's a, I mean, it's interesting to me because um you know people who aren't who don't pay attention the way we do who aren't interested all of a sudden mm. know yeah. are like oh UBI I just heard about this thing called a UBI so. So there's a massive. So this stuff is having a cultural shift, and you know they say that politics can't change when culture doesn't change. Yeah. And you could look at the stagnation of Australian politics. You could look at the relationship the Australian public has towards the arts, where they kind of yeah. want to have the cake and eat it too, as we kind of discussed. When the culture doesn't change, you can't expect political long-term policy outcomes to change yeah. when the culture staying yeah. stagnant. And, I, and Australian culture mm. is is being stagnant. Yeah, and I guess we should talk about. I guess the optimistic flip side is, um, you know, this is such a this is such an incredible opportunity for um. For cultural change right. and and as because you say, because people valuing welfare, valuing the arts, maybe I don't yeah, know, like and, regular um, folk, not not dickheads on the side like me. Yeah, and just valuing, um, you know, like it's a real, um, like what do you actually value? Like, do we want to look after people and prevent unnecessary deaths or not? Mm. Like, um, yeah. So I, I was I, so surprised the job keeper stuff you mentioned, the doubling, which kicks off at the end of uh, April, yeah, which will probably soon. be when this comes out, the twenty seventh. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, I was so gobsmacked because me and my family, like I, I live with disability, as you know, 
and mm, yeah. all my family like for all these reasons it's just we're just like a fucking bingo line uh serious like um social disadvantage and i i honestly i just had wholeheartedly believed and really thought that the coalition policies were they wanted me to die in a ditch on the street with nowhere to go and nothing to mm. do and being moved on and no public space and and just to be done and just to be well, we're going to drive you into thievery until you get caught, and then we'll put you in yeah. jail. So you, you know, your best, your safest housing option might be jail. Like I really thought that, that it is that amazing what's happened. Inscribed pretty hard, you know. When you you think back at the the, the twenty thirteen yeah, yeah. budget that Joe Hockey yeah. and Tony Abbott released that was so punitive and was going to be new start for six months, and the other six months you rely on yeah, your family. Yeah, yeah. You don't have family, too bad. You die in the streets. So, oh, single parent, and even labor three years before that, labor. Oh, your kid turned eight. Too bad for no reason. You're going to be chucked off single parent pension, chucked onto New Start, even though you're already working part time. So you're not going to get that. So, like, really, mm. just, even though you're still a single parent, like the kid is still a kid. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, right. It's just an arbitrary turn eight. That's it. It's over. Which I've totally. since backtracked and and even apologised. And but the thing is, that was led. Speaking of heterodoxy, mm. that turnaround for Labor that was driven by Clive Palmer as an independent taking it on as an issue. Yeah, right. Because he was this heterodox mm. dude and, and weird, weird thing that we still haven't really properly accounted for. Yeah, this for. Cra- crazy, unpredictable uh, actor. Oh, man. But yeah, man, Like I just think uh, I, I was like truly surprised. But I would love to see the culture that changes down the line as a result of those full-on graphs that must have been, like economic projections that must have been presented yeah. to like the Morrison government. Yeah, totally. I would love to see the culture that comes about because we can tie a direct line if that happens. If regular people start talking UBI and welfare and no, it's not okay for people to die in the street. Like, mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's too much. Like, I don't want to be super Pollyanna, but man, that would be incredible. Totally. And I mean, I think it's, um, like you say, like it is, it's, it's so unbelievable. Like imagine if you told someone, you know, five or six months ago that the the Scott Morrison government in policy terms was going to do some of the most dramatic social democratic policy reforms that you or I have seen in an Australian government in mm. our lives. Um, yeah, you know. shit that the Labor Party said no to for seven Exactly, years. yeah, shit that the Labor Party's been saying no to uh, for yonks. Like, shit that the Greens Party said, can we market mechanism this shit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you would have obviously told people that they were mad. But uh, here we are. It's happening, and yeah, I think I mean the like the fight to say keep the keep the doll doubled. Like that's gonna be that's gonna be really interesting, and uh, you know, kind of exciting. And hopefully, it can be a really hopefully it'll be a well coordinated kind of campaign that um, really puts the government on the back foot. Like we've seen the um, the unemployed workers union is um, to not be able to take it away. Is, yeah, to not be able to take it away. Like when we get to the end, you know, to resist the snapback, resisting the snapback. Yeah, like the unemployed workers union right. seem to have been growing in uh, yeah. profile and membership, and yeah, yeah, uh, getting some you know some pretty um, you know even for these this state of exception that we're in, like mm. some pretty uh, bolshy and interesting proposals. Um, so yeah, that's like there is a huge there is huge opportunity to reshape society mm. because, um, yeah. like you say, like it's moments of crisis when when that stuff can happen. Mm. Yeah, but also yeah, the, the pessimistic side of the coin is that um, like the snapback's going to be fast, hard, and real. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And like, look, whenever people make these projections and try to get ahead of it and come up with a take that's going to look good in hindsight. You know, reality is always uh, a, a little dab from the pessimistic side and a dab from the 
optimistic side. That's that's always yeah, right. And yeah. like we're seeing that. You it'll know, be messy and uneven and yeah. there'll be wins and losses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be, I think, heterod- for me, what heterodoxy means is ideological impurity and outright hypocrisy and what's the word? Just... Um, dissonance Co- dis- absolute cognitive like, ideological dissonance and contradiction yeah, yeah. like embracing like yeah. bold like balls out nuts out the side of your undies contradiction mm. that people find impossible to analyze yeah because they can't um, i mean for, for me that's the heterodoxy of trump yeah. comes from his he just shocks you every day and blunts emotionally blunts you into submission mm. So the, all you can end up doing is freaking out about bad manners and not actually holding him to account for things that it turns out the Democrats are also doing. Yeah, because it's so hard to wrestle with what's actually going on. Right. Like people don't have the tools right. to do that. Like, yeah, like you say, we've got someone who's implementing sort of uh, somewhat narrow universal health care, like free treatment for people with coronavirus, which in mm. the US is just unimaginable, especially from Trump. And then yeah. at the same time... Mm. You know, he's really like you're getting the de- de- death toll there is just horrendous. Like it's so tragic. It's um, it's horrific. It's now like yeah. it's the equivalent. Like you've got the equivalent of like the death toll of nine eleven happening almost every day, or like well, you know if it's every two days. Like yep. Yeah. Uh, and you know he's arguing for the wants to reopen the country, and yet his critics on the left can't. I hope we don't end up with a war against microbes, man. It'll be yeah. These critics on the left can't mount the simple like the simple attack is Trump is overseeing a crisis where we are having the same amount of Americans dying every day as died in 9-11 mm. and he wants to kill more of them. Mm. He wants to let you die. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's allowed to do that because the Dems aren't showing anything better. Yeah, so but like... Comparatively, like he can finish the sentence compared to, say, Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's... All, all Nancy Pelosi, all the things Nancy Pelosi put forward are... Like, you know, affordable healthcare type Hillary Clinton style. Yeah, bullshit. You know, let's let's um Tinkering. like the Dems recently proposed uh, just in the last couple of days. The Dems proposed expanding expensive shitty insurance for more people. Like what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll cover. We'll just cover your premium for that shit insurance that you that you because when you lose when you have the healthcare through your employer, which is, this seems so weird to Australians, but mm. uh, or, to, or to the English, you, you get this. Um, you lose it through your employee. You lose your job. So you have the option. You have this like period where you have the option to just pay the pay the dues yourself. And this is what the um, uh, the Democrats are proposing to cover that because that protects the status quo system that mm. like gives them all the donations. But but Trump, even though he's like way more of an open overt prick and he's a sex criminal and he's a racist and yeah, makes totally non-white people completely afraid and all of this stuff, all this other very real stuff. Um, he he just finds it easier to step away from like right wing deep cultural Republican points because he's this total chameleon at the end of the day, and he just finds it easier to to say, well, I don't care about any of that. I'm going to do this, and and the Dems are finding it harder. Like their corp, the corporate yeah. culture, and that change from like the Bill Clinton era. Man, they are finding it impossible to step away and use language that's free, not affordable. Yeah, tied to their their donors, tied to their norms. Yeah, um, tied to all. But you think the Republicans be tied as well? But Trump goes, no, I'm not tied. Well, I'm he's. I mean, I think, all you guys, you know, he's not tied. Probably, I think probably other Republicans are much more orthodox in this, that same way that Democrats are, where they, yeah, you know, they have all this m- mealy mouthed 
bullshit about, you know, extending affordable this and we'll reduce your premium here mm. and something deductible and people, you know, yeah, yeah. people Could die. Around the edges yeah, people stuff. die with tens and hundreds and thousands of dollars of debt still. Um, but yeah, Trump, yeah. like you say, like Trump is his own state of exception. Like he just continues to do whatever the fuck pops into his head. And uh, people still can't deal with it, like, four yeah. years later. And he clearly won the internal power battles. Yeah, totally. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. He clearly overtly won the internal power battles in the Republican Party long ago, and they caved to him. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. He's popular. Like, it's actually similar. Like, remember when Kevin Rudd was not in a faction, but he had public support out the wazoo, and therefore he got his agenda through? Oh, yeah. He was... He was wildly popular. But then popular. as soon as that, right, right. But even without friends in the party mm-hmm. um, and and, a fa- and factional friendships. So, yeah. so once he lost that popular support, that was it. He had nothing else propping him up. Whereas Bill Shorten lost, never had popular support. Um, that factional support was so was so substantial and sort of kept him kept him there to the end. You yeah, know? he'd done all the right things. Like he was, he'd done right. you know, the classical labor path to becoming, you know, a leader and respected within the Labor Party. Like he'd done he'd done all his homework but yes, yes. didn't really have much of the front facing game. Unrepresentative skill with the political machinery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, doesn't represent people in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and I think Can I ask you, man, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you on that front. So we can cover all these ways we can cover these ways that musicians and and artists are finding it really tough and have lost their job and then if they're set like depending on their sort of secondary wage uh have lost that either broadly because it's hospitality and gigs and stuff or they've you know had it reduced and it's sort of uh, they're on tenterhooks but you know how do we account for the fact that the arts has just been getting punished for a generation and it was already increasingly bleak. Every fiscal year was bleaker and bleaker and more shut down and the accountability changed and the funding wrenched over there and, you know, smaller. Like if you weren't a flagship old arts, high arts style outfit, uh, you really couldn't count on, you know, your next bass statement coming through, you know, with the goods. Like yep. how how do, how are the way you see it and like your musician friends and people you talk to, how bad is this? Um, when it was already so bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty bad, obviously. Um, it's hard to, I don't know, I mean, I don't know feel how qualified I am to give, you know, an overview of the whole picture. But um, Is it just like less talented people go work in admin and give up and so it's a smaller pot and therefore um, it culturally doesn't change? It's just less people who because um, the less talented people got squeezed out or or people who couldn't handle the stress got squeezed out. I don't know. I mean, it, it's probably, it doesn't work that evenly. I mean, there's lots of, no, of course. you know, there's really good people who get squeezed out and, you know, people who are not, you know, maybe the most amazing artists who manage to, you know, no discredit to them, but people who Great manage, entrepreneurs. Yeah, people who manage to stick around and um, get, swing a job somehow, like, you know, best of luck to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to, yeah, like it's not a meritocracy and it's silly to even... I don't know, like, to pretend that that's what it should be because, like, everyone's goals are different. Like, meritocracy suggests, like, some kind of linear thing yes, where yes. And everyone wants to do the same thing but better. And with so many diverse skills required, there's no comparison. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, sorry, my question is not to divide musicians, but it was already so, I mean, g- catastrophic funding cuts to the arts year in, year yeah, out. Yeah, yes, yes. For 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, already... Like, going back to Howard. Prime Ministerships. Like this this year, enduring the coronavirus crisis, like about three weeks ago, um, the 
Australia Council um, multi-year funding or what was announced. And there's, yeah, like there's a whole lot of, um, like here there's a, a dance company and like there's like, I think sort of maybe th- three local dance companies. Mm. Uh, and one of them's had their, a really significant one that does great work, great kind of education and community engagement work, as well as like high level professional work that's lost there. Like they're not going to be funded as of next year. So they mm. will, they'll cease to exist. Or what do they, they do? Will, um, what, what happens? Well, to they'll, people? they'll keep existing in a, in a different reduced kind of format where no one has like a, a full-time wage in the office uh, or they'll, I don't know, they'll, it's hard to say. And the same, like there's a theater company here too, which um, has also lost its funding and they're really the only theater company of the, you know, of the kind that are, that are funded where they, there's a few people in, you know, full-time jobs um, and they put on, you know, season of, of uh, several product plays in a year. And yeah, it's, it's devastating like that. Mm. Um, and that stuff's, you know, there's examples of that. Like that's just what I know from living here. Um, but yeah, that stuff's everywhere. And it's, um, I mean, I think the part of the, uh, maybe the reason why it's so difficult to, to advocate or to push back against those funding cuts is, um, I think it's really hard to talk about what we could have had. Like, mm, yeah, of course. You, it's um, part, it's, uh, it's not real. It's, it's, yeah, it's a difficult argument to make. Like, um, you, yeah. you know, you can always, I guess you can always point to the great work that the people and organizations have done in the past. And you can talk about like, oh, we have to support this, keep this going. But, um, yeah, I think like the, the, res- well, okay. So if a comparison can't happen like that, can you say that culturally in the industry, there's a level of like ruggedness and agility and ability to turn product X that becomes defunct into talent Y into some new project or new new kind of combination of of talent to to produce something else like is that does that is that like um, inoculating for professionals yeah, totally but it's almost like yeah i mean it's almost like maybe that um that resourcefulness or that sort of resilience or ability to to invent something new or some new stream of income it's it's maybe maybe it works against the arts in a way because um like you, you defund it and the, you know, people keep doing stuff mm, yeah, and yeah. like, it's different and it's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot lost. Like there's people, you know, people lose their jobs and things are done on a much smaller scale, but, um, people keep making art and people keep consuming the arts and, uh, yeah, perhaps that kind of works against the, I mean, really you just, some kind of collective action wouldn't go astray, would it? But they're also, you know, such a huge, diverse. Yeah, and unionizing in the creative industry. So, oh, it's pretty, pretty poor. Um, yeah, pretty hard to organize uh, all of the arts in Australia. To dogs, bollocks. Mm. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty diverse yeah. coalition. Well, we're seeing like the success of like you know unemployed workers union. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, how can they be doing so well? But like, it's a, it's a sad contrast, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So I don't know. It's um. I'm not. I don't know. Like, if there was a, if there was an easy answer of how to push back against it, maybe it would have. Um, we would have found it already. But Mm-mm-mm. yeah, it's um, yes, it's already hard. Yeah. and it's it's getting harder. Is, I've got this comic panel in my mind of uh, two dudes in skivvies going. One of them's going, "Oh man, my theater company like lost its funding," and the other guy in the skivvy gone, "You had funding." Well, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um. So many people are already so used to making, you know, getting by, like 
finding creative ways of getting stuff up off the ground. And it's like, mm. um, you know, people in other lines of work, like they expect a job with a regular income. Whereas like if you get the funding or you get the grant in the arts, it's like, it seems a bonus because it's just mm. like in Australia, it's so rare. Mm. Um, so yes, that's, uh, but you know, like know. If that, that doubled, yeah. doubled new start for, for unemployed artists and, musicians yeah. is like i mean that's I mean, better that's, that's good. better conditions than a proposed ubi uh, definitely which yeah, would yeah, have yeah. been way way less i mean it's like mm. the proposed figures for a ubi going around were like it's going to be like 1100 dollars off the bat yeah the double um, new start yeah yeah from the end of april and and the ubi being circulated was for about 60 percent mm. of yeah which is a uh and i mean that's like subsistence you know that's like pay the rent and buy some food and not much else. Yeah, yeah. I've lived that. That's like a that's like a post grad scholarship. Like you, you totally mm. do fine. You, know, you do some do some teaching, and your life's good for you know twenty weeks of the year. Yeah. But like it's a it's an unbelievable. Like you say, it's hard to analyze because it's an unbelievable mix of like terrible effects, terrible decisions really coming home to roost. Like a generation of terrible yeah. decisions about the arts and culture. Uh, and welfare and working. I mean, you won't get you won't you won't get much bigger opposition to a UBI than from the union sector. Once once UBI formalizes in Australia, it hasn't really yet. Yeah, there was already once if that if that gets steam, the union it's totally flies in the face of union orthodoxy where, you know, no one will no one will put down a UBI like wage guarantee people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um there was something I think did you see some head of a union in New South Wales or Queensland a few weeks ago. Um, uh, you and I might have seen the same thing on Twitter. But yeah, just like talking about that, um, oh, just that real kind of people desperately want to work. Typical left fragmenting bullshit. That kind of language, yeah, which is very, um, it's it's kind of anti-welfare. It's much more yeah. like a right, right to work, not in the like um, letting, letting people die American sense, but the um, my union members are desperate to go to work yeah, because that's what gives their life meaning mm, kind of mm. thing. Mm. Yeah, rather than like yeah. you know, wish we, sh- we should just look after people and yeah, with whatever that looks like, whether it's a job or whether it's with the UBI, with UBI if they don't have a job or UBI for everyone because that's what the universal part stands for. Mm, mm, mm. Indeed, indeed, and the universal. I mean, the other the, the biggest problem I had was the how do you stop? Like, I'm I'm cool with quantitative easing provide for a ubi if people are too chicken shit to tax like the wealthy who did so well out of the society they became wealthy in um but even if you just say well we'll never have a balanced budget then for the next 30 years uh how do you stop prices going up and how do you sort of fix that you got to something illiberal has to happen to stop people raising prices once they realize that they're you know we're back to medieval realty once their rent they know that their renters uh have more money to kick around and they can increase those Mm. norms you know something illiberal has to happen to stop that and freedom is this apparently important concept highly um highly weaponized of course but yeah i just i just wonder how that will shake out but i just think it's fascinating overall in this situation we've got heterodoxy providing this sort of confusion and a fog of the situation and this idea of a snapback but then like I also think there's lots of opportunities like some of the, like a lot of the examples you mentioned where it's really a great unmasking and people really show their true colors of what they mm. believe and, and how they frame things and the kind of words they choose and stuff. Mm. 
So we're we're sort of seeing society carved yeah, up yeah. in different lines. Oh, we haven't even talked about all those. Um, haven't even, speaking of people showing their true colors, we haven't even talked about like all those. Uh, you know, financial review columnists and IPA dudes. Oh, just, all the libertarians, uh, just like just... very openly advocating for killing more people. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, like, that's that's um, a wild that's a wild scene, isn't it? Man yeah. of the ABC, Chris and Allman. He, like, yeah, Chris Allman. Yeah, and uh, apparently, like the you know Q and A as is always the ABCs. Uh, way like they they felt obliged to put one of them on the panel the other night yeah. despite the fact that we've got i think there's like an open letter from signed by 250 economists or something mm. to the government telling them to not do that because like turns out you'll kill a lot of people and it'll be terrible for the economy Man. um but now q a had to put on one of those like let, let your grandparents die and type people so so many people who in my life who are very intelligent they still tune into q a they haven't figured it out it should be renamed M and C, Manufacturing Consent. Yeah, that, totally. That, that show is yeah, a yeah, normalizing. Yeah. It's it's the ABC reaching out across the aisle and begging to not be defunded out of existence. Totally, totally. We will we will reproduce your talking points. We will have your IPA guys yeah, on. Yeah, we promise. I mean, they yeah. they have the they have the drum. I used to tune into the drum like ten years ago. They they have like drum episodes with like. You know, it feels like two IPA dudes talking out, like hashing out which which brand of neoliberal economics, um, you know, would would like. Here's the yeah, range. Splitting hairs about neoliberalism. Yeah, and then like we'll have some, you know, someone from the labor right to balance them out. Yeah, um, I remember last episode of the drum I watched. They had um, yeah, it's no um, they had John Pilger on the drum. Oh, John Pilger, and just had him on to mock, and like the group just uh, mocked him. Wouldn't let him finish a sentence. Ah, uh, yeah, that's just, sad. Just shatting his eyeballs, man. It was. I was. I'm never tuning into this shit yeah, ever again. That's um. That's rough. Yeah. No. It's um. It's awful. And the yeah. Just it's just the the stuff that the right wing is presenting. Like it's such bullshit, false choices. Like the two options that they are presenting are just can be so easily picked apart, and it's just mm. not being done enough. Like the idea that there's going to be some kind of gain that we'll get from uh, you know, from just letting a whole lot more people die. Just very obviously a crock of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I haven't seen it in Australia, but in America, I saw this like really rich old dude say, I'd be prepared to die so that my grandchildren can get back to work and make their name for themselves in, an, in, an, in the market. Um, but that guy, so I mean, how it's going to work. But that's no, exactly. See, exactly. And it's obvious, like anyone, like you don't have to be a fucking diehard like me. Um, you, you any anyone can look at that guy and say, no, 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 you're counting on your incredible wealth to be fine. What you mean is poor people of your generation will die in the in the thousands, tens yeah. of thousands. Yeah. So ev- anyone can see that, and that's what I mean when I say this. What's happening now and the big shakeup. The heterodoxy makes it confusing, but there's the potential for great unmaskings and for simple truths where people don't need to yeah. be experts great to be able to say, clarity. wow, clarity, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about some of the great ways people are turning their skills towards the community, to the to society around them, and how powerful that might be. Like, what have you yeah, seen? Yeah, sure. There is a lot of we haven't really talked a lot about like um you know all the online content that's being generated, and I know I've probably been like a bit pessimistic about you know we've talked a lot about like people you know making art and making content and not sort of making any money from it, but uh, we haven't talked about like there is just some amazing stuff going on people doing like hilarious or very beautiful things uh and just putting them on you know just posting it to facebook or instagram or twitter just from their phone and it's cool um for example uh 
I've, I've got a friend in Melbourne who, with his housemate, uh, they just started writing songs for a musical mm. called Nugget Man, the musical, and putting initially they were putting a song on Facebook every day. They did slow down a little mm. bit once it was, you know, it was getting serious. There were like several hundred people baying wow. for the next episode of Nugget Man. But uh, you can look up Nugget Man, the musical, on Facebook, and they've just wrapped it up recently. There's like eight or nine songs. Amazing. And like, you know, really good musicians are writing very, very idiomatic music theatre with a very silly plot line about a man who's made of chicken nuggets who has superpowers. Um, I'm in a group chat with uh, um, friends all who are in different places all over the world and Nikki is getting us to play this game where you have to record a section of a song sung in the style of a different singer and (laughs) then everyone else has to guess who the singer is that you're imitating and it's like a really fun game but it's also like a little bit intimidating being in a in a group chat with like two professional opera singers and you know Nikki's good singer as well Um, is it always that's like hilarious stuff um yeah, there's cool, you know, people are doing cool things. Um, yeah. The Nugget Man, there was a lot of, uh, so once like there were, you know, hundreds of people listening every day, Ed and uh, I think it's Brendan or Brandon, his housemate, started um like getting sort of community generated content. So there was a lot of like cute, uh, there was some kids drawings and stuff of Nugget Man, which was pretty cool. I've got a, a friend who's who lives in Austria, who's a um really you know, really outstanding saxophone player, mm. plays a lot of contemporary music and he's um obviously, you know, he's not teaching, he's not travelling the world performing. Uh he started putting um like doing a series of YouTube videos um of uh extended and contemporary saxophone techniques um for composers. So it's like a resource for composers who want to write for saxophone, um which is a really useful thing mm. that Josh is doing, um, yeah. That's just off the top of my head. I mean, so kind of the com like the commons. There's a there's a drive towards like giving to the like re like turning towards the commons. Yeah, and totally. Putting stuff just into putting stuff out there. That space. Yeah, and, and people are of- just like. I mean, this is just you know my own world. I see a lot of music stuff. Being a musician, having lots of muso friends, but there's just like people are recording a ton of music, like and just putting it out there every day. And it's like there's kind of a um. And this, again, this goes back to sort of the state of exception thing. Mm. Like there's a bit of a freedom um, in, I guess, the kind of stuff that people are happy to put up on social media, like, which is really nice. Like, you know how, I guess, we if you think of Facebook 10 years ago when like you'd go to a party and then the next day someone would put yeah. up like 135 photos without taking out a single one and like they'd tag everyone and wouldn't ask anyone's consent and it was just like that total free-for-all thing. And then as times moved on and everyone's, you know, it's become increasingly monetized, professionalized and people are very curated and careful about what they put on mm. social media. Um, and that's, I mean, obviously that's still the case in a lot of ways, but I feel like people are like putting stuff up more often and with like, more abandoned than they maybe yeah would have. yeah rather than thinking where where do I monetize this where do I hang on to it and release an album or just to sell at my gigs or you know just those thoughts like no 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 just get it out because I need to do it yeah people, people are just like we've got to do another thing today yeah yeah. yeah what are we gonna do today let's do something no, fun. I can't remember the name like have you seen some of those like film clips being made of like people is making stuff with their 
like I saw some dudes in a share house where they have a sliding shower door and they put on a soundtrack of like a train stopping and it's just they pretend in their like dickhead houseware <laughs> to, to pretend that they are yeah. getting on board a busy commuting thing like in very close and they're all just getting into this shower cubicle uh, and exiting with their like fake briefcase. That's great. No, I haven't stuff. seen that. That's, like it's fascinating. That's very, um, and the sound syncs up perfectly to this, these knob jockeys in their share house. Because they happen to have a sliding door in the shower. Or like the video clip of um, the dude got his family in on it and they were just like, it's all about like celebrating their um, isolation with their family, being stuck with their family. But it's okay because their family are awesome. Yeah, nice. That's good. That's good stuff. Super, I mean, amateur, skilled amateur responses, which is really different to being in a chat with like two professional opera singers, let's face it. Yeah, having to impersonate. But the spirit is the same. Yeah. The spirit is the spirit same. similar. Hey, how many, um, how many instruments Ben Harrison got to master in this time, man? That's scary. Oh, uh, yeah. He's speaking of like musicians who are intimidatingly good online <laughs> and in real life yeah he's, he's a great he's got he's really getting pretty good at claw hammer banjo for a trumpet player. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm seeing, I'm seeing him. Uh, having already yeah having got very good at mandolin yeah yeah no it's great i love listening to ben well man he's got a new album coming out like next week which is i think yeah um bluegrassy banjo stuff oh yeah um, recorded pre pre lockdown Right on, man. Right Check on. Check it out. No everybody. one's got any money to buy yeah. it, but, you know, we consume it for free, yeah. which is what we're doing before <laughs> and not feeling bad. But now mm. that's the thing, the unmasking. Like it's like, oh, no, yes. these guys should yes. be getting paid, you know. And not, and again, not just like proponents in particular wings of society, but like regular folk being like, yeah, actually, mm. now they mention it, that doesn't make sense. Like it's like a defamiliarization. You know, like the Russian formalists, you know, they're like into defamiliarization. Like take everyday stuff. But, you know, poetry just defamiliarizes, yeah. like an edit defamiliarizes and makes yeah. an, a typical thing that you're used to seeing strange yeah, yeah. and makes it anew and, and freshens up that perspective or whatever. Mm. That, that yeah. It's weird that the, sh- the shutdown could be doing something that poetic, you know, yeah, a totally. hundred years of Western poetics <laughs> is trying to achieve. That's crazy. All right. Cool. All right, man. Hey, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on and breaking down this shit. I know we've covered this massive range. Like we've sort of gone yeah. in and out of the arts specifically and then we've like done like Australian political history. We've dipped into like other like Western liberal democracy, like Anglo, Anglosphere nations and stuff mm. and massive wide-ranging conversation, which is it. Can I just say, Nick, thank you because it's the real perfect thing. It's the, it's the massive mad diversity that i really wanted on this um podcast so oh, man thank, thank you. you very much how are you feeling oh, i'm feeling good thank you for um teeing it up it's great to to do another one of these to talk to you and to just thrash some of this stuff out uh yeah, yeah it's great it's a it's very interesting yeah i think there's um there's something i mean I'd, I'd have to read you know do some more reading and thinking but uh i think yeah the it'd be very interesting that idea of the the state of exception that we're mm-hmm. in and how that's going to be used in different ways as we come out of it, or as some people try to convince us that we have to stay in it, perhaps, mm. or that we are still in it. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I think that's a an interesting idea to kind of keep thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, when I when I I'm going to I'm going to interview David and Max, and we're lining up other sides of that conversation, like talking about how Scott Morrison sliding in slid in a whole bunch of like relaxing 
obligations for share mum and dad shareholders you know shareholder protection laws like corporations can take stronger harder action without oh, yeah. doing you know or um like development restrictions like developers are going to find it easier so it's not as egregious as what's happened in the states which is just balls out robbery mm. uh in in the middle of you know the middle of the day in the middle of town but it's it's um it's it's nipping and tucking around the edges and stuff that's going to might prove you know we might look back and and see a bunch of poison chalices and stuff you know yeah totally yeah, we'll we didn't see. even. Um, we'll see. Did you catch last week when Scott Morrison just threw out that suggestion that uh, the transport workers industry super fund should consider bailing out Virgin mm, with like it's incredible man employees retirement savings yeah it's almost money. like yeah that's did wild. he know what he was saying I haven't talked about that there's, enough I mean look that there's so many yeah. man there's so many things like that that we could like focus the whole show on. But yeah, that's that heterodox. Oh yeah, there's work. so many things that are happening every day where you just go like, "Oh, yeah. what?" Nations, nations. <laughs> yeah, like hang on, what? governments taking a stake in bailed out organ. I mean, can you imagine if mm. that had happened in 2008? You know, and in that like recovery period, like renationalizing, taking that opportunity to renationalize like such important industries. Um, core industries. Yeah, like, I mean, they're, um, our coffers would be full enough for a fucking US. Totally. I mean, they're having that, uh, the, yeah, like the postal service in the US is about to basically fail. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah crazy things. That, that's what I mean about like all these past decisions of the last, yes, going back to the yeah, 90s, now. all these past decisions now are looking really bad. Mm. That's the unmasking, like. Now they're looking bad. These decisions happened ages ago. Yes, but yes. now it's like no. People and exposed in a really, like you said, the mask off in an obvious way that could maybe engage a lot of people. Like you know, a couple of years ago, you had to listen yes. to someone yeah. who'd done a lot of, you know, listen to someone try to convince you that this neoliberal thing that happened in the nineties was a bad idea. But it's like, well, you know, can't really see how that affects me. But yeah. but you know, it'll also be massive bias. You're right, and it'll oh, be yeah, massive yeah. bias confirmation. Because we know the mainstream media is completely mm. amnesiatic and won't put together any dots of anything uh, and will just sort of live in this perpetual presence. Yeah, and just refuses to interrogate even the most, you know, basic of uh, lines Yeah, and, and refuse yeah. to acknowledge the public good. I mean, yeah, yeah, totally. Even when they're literally a public broadcaster. Yeah. Hey, yeah. one day, you know what? Yeah. Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Habermas, you know, the public sphere and the ideal speech act, you know, for, for like prop up a democracy. Oh, yeah. Was that Habermas's yeah, game? Yeah, that was Habermas's game. And, and, you know, he was like, okay. hey, the only way this shit could go wrong is if your media ends up being really unrepresentative and doesn't play a role as the fourth estate and hold politics to account. So I guess we don't have to worry, Nick. No, I guess he's feeling pretty smug now. Habermas <laughs> <laughs> hey, rolling in his grave. Mm. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much. It's been so good to have you on this. And, okay, um, cool. Thank you, Luke. It's great, great to chat to you. Thanks for saying yeah. a bunch of shit that I could never think of in a million years. Oh, likewise. You always say stuff that I could never think of. I love you for I it. just say it, man. I can't think of it. I just say yeah, it. Yeah, that's the way to do it. You just say it before you thought of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's an EM Forster. Like, how do I know what I think until I've read what I've written kind of thing? Right on. But he didn't have podcasting. If Forster had podcasting, I mean, imagine. Anyway. All right, man. I'll, okay. I'll let you go, man. Thank you so much. You're so generous. Um, get out of here. Okay. What time is it there? It's 11.06 p.m. All right. That's bullshit. Get a bit. I'm okay. sorry. Don't You're a sorry. legend. You're a legend. Okay. Well, 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 I'm not going to get into what I know or what I don't know. Here's what I know. 
And that's quite enough, don't you think, for the first episode of Season 2 of The Lever. It's great to have you back with us if you stuck around from our first season. And if you're new, go and check out the previous episodes. You'll definitely find something that speaks to you. The intro track you're listening to is by Neil Lawrence, who's done a great remix of the bullshit song I made on GarageBand. So thanks very much, Neil, if you're listening out there. Talented man. So now it's time to like and subscribe to the Lever podcast. Go over to YouTube and check for dissatisfunctional.com. Spelt just the way it sounds. This is the perfect time to share the stuff that you like with your friends. So if you've liked the conversation today, then please leave us a review in the Apple Store. Do have a Patreon. You can chuck something in the tip jar for $2 and you'll get special unreleased B-sides. But no one's got a job. How are you going to pay for that? You just have a listen. You enjoy it and tune in for next time. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. See you again.